Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast. Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast, powered by Exabel. I'm Mark Fleming-Williams. In this episode, I speak to Tim Lind of the Depository Trust Clearing Corporation, or DTCC. In our conversation, Tim and I discuss the DTCC's key role in the market, the length and breadth of its data offering, and the various phases of development seen in the capital markets. On another note, it was a pleasure to see so many former and future podcast guests at Eagle Alpha last week and at our impromptu drinks the night before. So in this episode, I'm joined by Tim Lind of the Depository Trust and Clearing Corporation, or DTCC. Thanks very much for joining today, Tim. Pleasure to be here, Mark. Tim, uh, I am very interested to talk today about the DTCC. It's one of those cases where it is such an integral part of the plumbing um, and such an important part of the entire process, but in such a but in such a way that it's not showy and doesn't necessarily catch the eye of, 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 of many, but then you stumble across it and it's just, you know, gigantic. So um, I've had that with this, with this, with this, uh, with the, with learning about the DTCC. And I'm looking forward to, uh, to maybe uh, giving other, other listeners a, a taste of that today. Yeah, it's fantastic, Mark. I give you credit already for understanding DTCC and the, what the acronym stands for and giving us credit for, you know, maybe not the sexiest part of market infrastructure, but, um, but critical. I, you know, one thing I like to say is we're the biggest company you've never heard of in the in capital markets. Mm. Um, I'm a Boston guy and have many friends that are traders um, for big banks or portfolio managers uh, for prominent asset managers, and they've never heard of DTCC. Crazy, so, I mean, come on, who, who keeps track of everything and, and the settlement? So anyway, it's uh, it's nice that you you've heard of us. And they would and they, they would they would hear it's like the money markets in 2008, isn't it? They wouldn't they would hear about you when you go wrong. Type that, thing. If, exactly. you, if you weren't there, then suddenly everyone would be, would be very aware of you. Exactly. Um, We're not sure if we like the expression plumbers of Wall Street or not, but uh, yeah. we know what happens when the drains clog. Right. It's a, it's you, then you start to think about the mechanics under underneath the floor a little bit. So I think you're absolutely right. Why don't we? Um, why don't you just give? Why don't we start just giving a? If you just give a, a very brief pen portrait um, of your of your background in terms of um, in terms of how you came to the DTCC. You bet. So I have a somewhat of a, a checkered history in the data management and market data industry. Um, started out my world as uh, in in custodian banks and and capital markets. So a little bit of the operations and the process, but. You know, between data management technology um, to market data companies like Thomson Reuters um, and and the trade processing uh, associated with uh, and the use of reference data and corporate actions um, all sort of brought me to, to DTCC. I, I used to work at a company called Omgeo, which was owned by DTCC in a joint venture with Thomson Reuters. So I knew many of the, the executives uh, at DTCC and was lucky enough to come here about four years ago. Uh, my, my main role here is that I, I look after the data services business, which is to say uh, I look after the commercialization of DTCC's data assets. Perfect. And that's exactly what that's exactly why you're here today. And you're the perfect person to speak to. <laughs> so 
let us start from scratch and say, what is the DTCC? Do you know when it started? Uh, the original, I mean, back in the early 70s, the, the, the utility organization and the depository is, um, dates back many, many years. Um, from the data services perspective, uh, I think you could trace back our lineage to maybe 10, you know, about 10 years ago. Okay. Um, but maybe it's, it, it's probably important to, for those that don't know DTCC very well to understand where our data assets come from and perhaps the, the sheer scope of the footprint of, of DTCC's uh, services. Um, now, the, the, the thing I was, it was impressed by and didn't fully understand when I joined the company four years ago is, that, is the magnitude of that footprint. Uh, you know, about half of the world's capital markets pass through uh, the infrastructure of DTCC services every day. Um, we in the U.S. we plug into you know every exchange, every lit exchange, alternative trading systems, and dark pools. Um, all of the that fragmented equity trading activity flows into the the clearing corp, the National Securities Clearing Corp. So we see essentially every equity trade that's uh, traded in a marketplace. Um, we settle all the government debt, all the corporate debt, municipal bonds, um, more than a trillion in repos and money market activity. Uh, and the thing that I really didn't uh, fully appreciate when I came here is that the, the magnitude of the trade reporting infrastructure for OTC derivative uh, uh, reporting and transparency. We we collect about 80 percent of the notional value of OTC derivatives reported under those uh, uh, transparency regimes every day. Ninety eight percent of the credit default swaps. Um, you know, we clear all the ETF activity in the United States and basket creation and redemption. So um, that that. That source is just magnitude. You do. You're absolutely gigantic. You do everything. You are the plumbing of the system. Um, spelling it out for the for the uninitiated, what DTCC is is if uh, two market players want to make a trade, then they see each other. One is offering a buy, and the other is offering a sell, and then they're matched. And then a number of days later, um, the buyer receives the receives the asset, and the seller receives the money. Um, and you're the guys who make that latter bit happen. Is that fair? Exactly. We stand in the in between from the time two participants meet in a trading uh, platform and agree on those economics of the trade. We step in the middle of that mark. We're the we're the buyer to every seller, the seller to every buyer. We are a as a central counterparty, a professional collateral and risk management entity. We have one of the largest credit facilities on the planet, um, and and so are. We guarantee the performance of the contract. So if any any single participant fails to meet their obligation, we step in and make sure all their counterparties are insulated from from that that default, and and we ensure that the the beneficial ownership with finality, irrevocable, irreversible, is is changed on that settlement date. So you get your shares, they get their money, and uh, um, the the world is good. Someone has an asset which they put on the market. Someone else has come to the market and they've made a bid and there's a match. You you step between and you receive the money and you receive the asset and you hold it in trust for three days to make sure everything's legit and then you pass them pass them across. Is that what you mean when you say you you you're, you're the buyer of every asset and the and the and the seller of every you yeah and being in the in the middle is that is that right? Exactly. Essentially, we run a two a two day bank. So we. We guarantee um, from the time it's traded to the time it's settled, we see in a, a two-day cadence right now. So when the when the two parties meet at the at the trading venue, 
and give us a corroborating instruction. You know, you're a buyer, you're the seller, you guys agree. Okay, we, we step in. The, the ownership isn't actually changed until settlement, which is two days later. But in that, in that window of time between execution and settlement, we guarantee that those parties cannot back out of a trade or default to the detriment of the, the counterparty. So that's the clearing process. So that's why you got so much credit, because um, because you need to back yourself against someone putting in a bid and then they lose the money. And within that two days, um, thank you for correcting me. I said three days before. Um, and uh, so if someone if then you need to you need to make good on that on that purchase, which means presumably you need to be quite comfortable with the identity of that buyer and the identity of that seller in order to do your job. You couldn't, they need to be registered quite, quite uh, within an inch of their life in order for you to be comfortable that they are good participants. You bet. The first pillar of risk management is strict membership criteria. So just what you said. And, and the direct participants at DTCC are typically well-capitalized, sophisticated banks um, and broker dealers. Um, but we, we, you know, as a professional clearinghouse, we manage Collateral. So, you know, we, you know, we look back to to the GameStop day and and Robinhood, the underlying volatility of that security and the magnitude of positions taken by Robinhood, Robinhood's underlying clientele, created a a, a very uh, um, risky position in 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 a two day settlement. So the margin reflects the volatility of the stock and uh, and um, uh, the uh, underlying uh, dynamics. So. Um, those margin calls can be quite large given given that volatility. So we take all those into consideration. We're professional risk modelers, and the margins and collateral reflect that that risk and volatility. You gave uh, you gave a you gave a an idea of your scope earlier, but um, who would who would who would not use you? Um, what percentage of the market would not use you? I mean, are you covering literally the whole market, or or how does it how does it look in terms of like yeah as a as a fraction? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, in terms of the United States, we're the central securities depository, so we're keeping track of the beneficial ownership, and then we're those clearing houses across different asset classes. So if you're dealing with a cash-settled security uh, where ultimately there's a deliver versus payment to you know on the security to change the beneficial ownership, um, you'll likely be uh, affecting that change through DTCC. There is a there is some bilateral uh, remnants. I mean, believe it or not, physical stocks still exist. Um, so there are some other types of transactions that aren't necessarily eligible for DTCC. But by and large, Wait, what, what do you mean? What do you mean by physical stock? Well, you're not talking about commodities. You're talking about like what do you mean by physical stocks? Well, believe it. I mean, believe it or not, there were you know at one stage um, stocks were certificates that were printed and uh, and signed and and uh, ownership was transferred from one registration agency to the other, and so. Um, Obviously, that has evolved to be a book entry electronic means of changing who the new owner is uh, when a stock has changed hands. But it used to be physical certificates, uh, yeah. payable, and in some cases, bearer certificates, which means they're payable to the bearer. But uh, mm. um, over time, in most markets, we've gone away from, we've dematerialized that mark. I think that's the, the expression that uh, most, most uh, markets use, to be all electronic. So... Um, here we are. This is what you do. You are literally clearing um, almost you know, a, a very large percentage of the trades that are happening in the in the entire U.S. market, um, which means incredible visibility um, and incredible access to what is going on out there um, all the time. Now, 
as we've said, it takes two days for the um, uh, for the for the trade to clear. Um, from your perspective, when do you get visibility on the trade? It's not after two days, is it? No, I mean we we do source uh, a lot of trade activity directly from the clearinghouse, so we'll be able to see we see those trades um, that same day. Uh, yeah. m- many of our products uh, on a T plus one, so things that happen today are published tomorrow. But like all things, the time value of data is very relevant to um, our customers. So we're increasingly going intraday and being able to publish activity that happened this morning in aggregates that you'll see by lunchtime today, for example. Okay. So even though there's the, the settlement, we, we do source most of our, our trade data from the clearing process. So it's even before it's finally settled. Okay. So you've been doing this, DTCC has been doing this for a long time um, until some bright spark sniffed the wind and saw which way things were going and thought there's money to be made out of this data. Um, <laughs> where it's, it's classic exhaust data. You know, this is this is a really interesting um, view of the market that we have, which people will be interested in. When do you think that bright spark had that thought? Was that was that what you came in to do or did it pre-exist you or? It, it did pre-exist me. It was in its um, in its early stages, and I think we had to establish many of the the core components of being in the data business. You know, I always say, be, just because you have data doesn't make you a data vendor. Um, the legal and contractual uh, uh, infrastructure, the the technical infrastructure to store and publish, um, all of that is has matured dramatically. You know, over the last few years, um, but I would say, you know, five six years ago. Uh, it was understood that the trade observations that we're talking about would have commercial value, and and that's that's what led a you know led us to to pursue a data services business, and you know as you rightly described that that footprint of cash settled trade and 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 clearing activity um, creates this insight in how the markets are moving, and we 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 brand our products kinetics. I kind of fell in love with this word, Mark. And kinetics is is the uh, the, the energy of motion, um, the science of movement and its causes. We're somewhat the the seismograph, the needle on top of capital markets, um, and ultimately we're that historical record of what happened in these markets, and and what what's making the things move um, across the capital structure of a company, and being able to triangulate equity, debt, commercial paper, credit default. Uh, swaps and, and historic corporate actions, all this together tells stories of of, of the market, liquidity, um, valuation, risk, uh, momentum, uh, correlation, contagion. So that was really the 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 you know the cornerstone of the data business. How can we put these trade observations to work to help our clients better understand market sentiment? What does the what does the data look like? So we're we're a pretty you know broad uh, provider these days. We have over a dozen different products. Uh, I think one of the let's say um, less sexy parts of our portfolio, but pretty critical, is you know in addition to being this clearing and settlement agent in the U.S., um, we also connect to all the corporate uh, issuers, um, uh, not only corporates but government agencies, municipalities. So when a company wants to issue new debt. Um, or distribute income or interest to shareholders or call or redeem securities, DTCC is the first to know. So mm. not only we stand between market participants, we stand between 
the issuers of securities and investors. So that connectivity is really important um, because, you know, if a company goes through an M&A process or uh, wants to distribute any uh, income or dividends to, to a, a client, we're, we're the ones to know. And we also affect the payment of that. So data for us, um, it's not just a record. It's what we use uh, to make payments. So we've got to reconcile you know, what the company said it's going to pay with how much money it's allocating to that. So we use our own data in anger every day. So, you know, so that gives a, a, a corporate actions and reference data is still key to our portfolio. But kinetics is really about, you know, empirical trade observations between, you know, two market participants. And we've started with really the money market. So commercial paper and institutional CDs. We expanded to the equity world. Uh, we, you know, as I mentioned, we plug into all the exchanges in the U.S. Uh, we're, we just launched a uh, product in the repo space where we look at the underlying general collateral of treasuries as the collateral to finance uh, overnight repurchase agreements. Uh, and then we're, we're going to continue to um, add different asset classes to our portfolio. But uh, Got it. But I so so understood. So corporate actions and then transactions a little bit, unless I've unless I've missed one. But let's focusing on the transact. Corporate actions is 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 familiar um, and and yeah. completely that you are you are very much a kind of one of the first to know. Um, transactions wise, if somebody buys the DTC DTCC data set, um, what are they getting? Literally, that you know, Joe Blogs bought bought. Uh, shell shares um, for such and such a price um, or are they, are they getting that an individual bought a share in shell for such and such a price and and if so when did when do we hear that that individual bought that share yes a great question mark and the the the, <clears throat> the cornerstone of our data business is is around confidentiality and protecting the privacy of our participants so at no time can we ever disclose the activity of a single participant or their trade activity or by inference allow their identity to be reverse engineered. So we, we provide everything in aggregate. Uh, we ensure there's a minimum participation in a given security. So there's enough parties trading a security on a given day in order for those securities that those those act, that activity to be eligible for a data product. So we're um, we're quite precise in our you know data use policies and and you know we also extend one one of the challenges here is you make information to the market that had never had transparency. You, we're talking about you know some of the fixed income markets that are bilateral that lack a central limit order book or any you know broad trading platforms for market data. We have to be sensitive about you know how transparency changes the market and how uh, market structure evolves. So we also, you know, take it a step further and make sure that our data cannot be used by unethical actors or what I would describe as parasitic trading. So we we want to make sure that the the data is used for high high. Do you mean high high frequency when you say parasitic? Well, no, I don't necessarily subscribe to that either. I think that um, you know, there's you know, velocity of trade activity provides liquidity to the market, and mm-hmm. and I think I think most crises. Let me put it this way, Mark: most crises occur by lack of liquidity, not too much liquidity. Yeah. So you know, so given, I, I would say those that would trade on the behavior of other parties and not their own sentiment models might be a, a good way to describe that. That's. It's an interesting. I've I've spoken to people previously who who there's a lot big opportunity for that in China 
um, because uh, you've got a large, um, unsophisticated uh, trading uh, community, um, and then a few sophisticated ones, and the, and the sophisticated ones are what either working out what the what the what the big the, the long tail are doing or working out what each other are doing um, yeah. in order to see what the sophisticated. So it's it's a game seem to be a lot of people looking at each other there. Yeah, interesting. Than, yeah. But um but okay, so you are so you're so you're 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 trying to reward faithful market participants rather than <laughs> rather than the ones who are who are trying to uh, trying to uh, fix the game. But um and but so so okay, so you were saying there's no you don't release any individual or any way of tracking an individual. What do you release? Correct. Correct. So we we typically publish at an asset class level at an individual security things like the buy and sell volumes um, associated with that security. Obviously, we historical data um, is, is extremely relevant. Um, quant and systematic uh, hedge funds are, are big consumers of this type of data. So that historical relevance is always important. Um, but we, we look at some really you know, basic information, buy and sell volume, um, concentration of activities that is that trade activity uh, concentrated in a, in a few uh, participants or is it evenly distributed across a, a wider variety of market participants. Um, and we have broad views on, you know, simple analytics, volume weighted average prices and other, other analytics associated with that security. Mm. Uh, we do have a, a global, global products, <clears throat> which, excuse me, which is really, um, I think interesting in that we can not only see the, the overall volumes, but we can attribute those volumes to certain investor segments, such as hedge funds, long only funds and retail wealth. So we do have some visibility on the origin uh, of the segment that's trading these securities. So we do see how broad segments of investor types and how smart money moves in and out of, uh, of certain markets. But again, we're, we're um, you know, we're focused on protecting the, uh, the anonymity and confidentiality of all that, that trade. So we're pretty broad, uh, broad uh, observations of data, Mark. Do you have indicators of short interest? We do. Yeah, that's uh, part of the uh, um, part of the process at DTCC as well, is that we can see uh, short activity, which is, as you would imagine, as I think your question insinuates, is a very uh, in interesting source of data these days. Very either good. for yeah. you know for long only funds that are seeing shorts put onto their portfolio, I think long only portfolio managers hate when 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 short interest ticks up on their on their securities, as well as you know evidence of potential short squeezes. Where hard, you know, borrowing uh, becomes scarcer, hard to borrow, and um, so th those are also you can see those kind of leading indicators. If you're, I can't personally, I'm not smart enough, but for quantitative and systematic hedge funds and those that could have the proper models could see evidence of these events in advance. Okay, how long after Joe Bloggs bought his share in Shell will that come out of the data? Or even though you won't see his name or or a way to track that it's him. How long after the transaction will somebody buying the DTCC data um, get that information? In, in the equity world, we're going towards intraday um, snaps. So you could see a, a, a number of intraday aggregations. I think by and large, most of our clients are looking at, they, at that data a, a, a day in arrears. So yesterday's activity um, is being processed today. So they have some insight on what the market may do. Okay. Brilliant. So you have you've hinted at it, but um, who who do you sell your data to? Yeah, that's a great question. So we have a you know again, let's with corporate actions and reference data, 
you have a broad set of operational processes that depend on that kind of information. But when we're talking about the activity base, the transactional base, the kinetics products, um, they're really quantitative and systematic hedge funds uh, are our primary clientele. Um, we do support a lot of indexing, as you might imagine, our data lends itself well to financial benchmarks and, uh, you know, the empirical observations of, you know, trade activity from arm's length participants, national forces of supply and demand are really what, you know, benchmark administrators and standards are, are pushing towards. So uh, index administration is a, is, a, is a growing part of our uh, of our uh, focus. So they want. Uh, so that. So someone running an index and inter- is interested in how much. How much? I mean, essentially, um, do you think your product essentially is pr- is showing how much activity is happening in a in an asset in a yes. given time? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, Let so, me give you. Yeah. Go yeah. on. Sorry. But so, so someone creating an index might be f- shaping their index around most like the most popular stocks that, or, or or assets. Exactly. I, I mean, I'll give you a perfect example in the. Uh, yeah. You know, as LIBOR is meeting its uh, final, um, you know, demise, let's say, uh, you know, the world is looking for a proxy for short-term interest rates. Um, and, you know, there's a number of different providers that have gone, index uh, providers that are entering that and looking for a proxy on credit-sensitive rates uh, that, you know, also show some future value of money. But, you know, LIBOR wasn't just, um, you know, it, it did describe the future value of money and there was a credit component built into it. Um, so our we have uh, $110 billion of commercial paper observations every day. So you could see what banks are willing to finance, uh, 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 you know, short term um, lending at. So it's an excellent process and, you know, probably a deeper market than the interbank lending world. Um, so that type of data um, in that kind of volume with that kind of integrity um, is the type of uh, input that a, you know, a LIBOR fallback um, a benchmark uh, would, would consider valuable. A lot of these things of what you do um, sound like a, a kind of a government function in terms of you are making the market work, essentially. And it's and it's kind of like it's a utility um, almost. In terms, so in terms of that, I mean, if you start, you are as as you say, you're very well uh, placed to be to be defining or or or, or presenting a, a potential LIBOR number. Um, but isn't there a risk of that putting quite a lot of power into the hands of the DTCC in the same way that it that, that did for LIBOR? You know, it's it's yeah. a um, it's a it's a it's a private company, isn't that isn't that a bit dangerous? Well, you know, we're we're certainly non-exclusive um, with the, the the parties that we uh, provide data to, so we're not going to be a singular answer to that. In it, it is not our intent at this point to create proprietary indices on our own. Um, that market, especially, is dominated by um, some very large players, very sophisticated players, very well entrenched players. So I think that the, the uh, probability of DTCC coming up with a novel uh, index and and the the marketing capability to you know to get broad adoption of that index is is unlikely. So at this point, we think it more prudent to provide our trade observations to other index administrators. Um, and they'll use their methodologies uh, to and, and other obviously other data inputs 
to create the index and and let the the marketplace decide which is most appropriate for the lending activity. Uh, what do they want to proxy their lending activity against? So we're not going to be we're not going to be that 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 single index mark. But uh, we do have a you know you picked up on a point I think that is important is you know I didn't really again fully appreciate TTCC as a utility. We're not government owned. We're owned by the banks, uh, the largest banks in the United States, and but we do see ourselves as advocates for. The marketplace for efficient markets for fair markets um you know we think it our mandate to protect um our participants and investors by you know creating a sound infrastructure so it it it, it changes our our the, the ethicals you know our ethics and the way we look at um how we do business so yeah we're, we're very conscious on the, the point that you made we're very conscious of you know what this data how it changes the market dynamics and yeah. uh and then we're sensitive to that how many how many banks are you owned by? You know, I, I I don't know the precise number, but it's 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 broad. It's um, I mean, our board has maybe twenty five or so different uh, uh, bank representatives on it. Um, we are governed by a, a board of um, uh, uh, some of the primary banks, but I believe it's one hundred and fifty, one hundred and sixty. But uh, don't quote me on that. It's broad. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you're kind of you're kind of owned by the market in a way, we are. Which, which is a very nice way of keeping you honest. It is. Um, it is. And, and we're very transparent in how we do things. And like I said, we're, there's, a, there's a, a sense of moral obligation, if you will, to, you know, to, take, to take advocacy on behalf of the market. So I think every utility, I, I actually used to work at Swift too, and they have a similar mentality in how they deal with their banking clients in the market. So I think it's kind of ingrained in some utilities. We got to be more than just a trade processing you know, unit that we, we have to you know, think about the interests of our participants broader than that. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so we've touched on the quants who are um, who are feeding all these wonderful numbers into their into their models in order to understand what's been what the, what's been happening in the trades. Um, index index providers. Um, is there is there any 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 fundamental interest? Yeah, you know that's a really good question, and and one of the bigger challenges. You know, while we've seen a a, a bifurcation uh, in the U.S. market between the uh, uh, you know the, the quantitative systematic hedge funds on one side, and our traditional long only franchises uh, on the other side, um, and that you know we we've seen um, you know the index uh, funds, ETF funds, passive investments uh, uh, strategies being more the the model of the long only side, so. We we really built our our business in kinetics with the with the hedge funds because they're looking for raw materials as you as you just described, you know taking the data along with a mosaic of other uh, alternative uh, data that they that they access, and bring it into you know sentiment models and other alpha creation uh, type of of uh, um, techniques, whereas on the long only fund. You know, we have to change the way we present data, the raw materials and the ability to stitch it together and, and integrate alt data into the workflow in, uh, of investment decision making is still, you know, lagging in the long only side compared to the hedge funds. Um, so we're going to have to create better visualizations, better connectivity, better analytics platforms. So, a you know, a portfolio manager or risk officer can see when certain thresholds are tripped. Uh, to alert them to investigate something as opposed to the the really hardcore quants on the hedge fund side that are uh, using these to to make decisions uh, investment decisions uh, in an automated way 
do you think that is it partly a product of um so is it that uh, at the moment the quants perhaps are using you in a in a rapid way in terms of you know the fact that you can say what's been happening today in the markets means that fast trades can happen and it can be really you know of the moment and perhaps a a, a fundamental long only um, investor might be taking a slightly longer view and actually what happened today isn't quite as relevant as as you know over the over over a longer period and uh, is what you're saying that potentially you need to be um, thinking of ways to show the longer tail of your data and presenting kind of months and years worth of the data um, in order to play into that longer thinking um, horizon of a of a of a, of a, a fundamental investor. Yeah, I think that's a really well described. Um, it, it, from the from the long only side, you know, forecasting. Yeah, I've heard this expression: the difference between forecasting and now casting. And mm. where the long only funds are like trying to forecast value and 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 see returns at a at a longer horizon, hedge funds are more into now casting and looking for short term, you know, uh, pricing anomalies and how to take advantage of certain market dynamics. Um, so their horizon for alpha generation may be shorter. Their the 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 number of securities they trade will be broader. Their understanding of the fundamental dynamics of those securities for the hedge funds will be less, as opposed to the fundamental side, which is you know deeper into a, a, a narrower range of securities, mm. and and so we have to, and which is exactly the challenge we have, is to uh, uh, you know connect data better to give them a, the long only funds alerts when things are changing. Right when when a short squeeze is uh, potential, or there's short interest on on your securities, or you know, other types of you know uh, um, Z scores and other statistics where a, a factor is fallen out of a, a, a its natural mean a little bit, and and something that you should pay more attention to. So I think for the long only side, we're more alerting them to a, a potential risks. Exactly. Exactly. And and something you got to pay attention to. And then their fundamental skills will kick in. But uh, one, I tell you one thing that's, you know, we've seen in my in my career here in Boston is, you know, you know, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, when mutual funds marketed their services, they talked about performance and their rock star portfolio managers were even, um, you know, part of their marketing campaign. Now it seems buy side are more inclined to uh, the long only side, more inclined to compare their expense ratios over their performance numbers. And, and so, you know, I do imagine, a, you know, as, as more data becomes uh, available, as technology and tools become more ubiquitous, that the long only funds will look to complement their passive and index strategies um, with more dynamic use of data, um, less they become purely transactional, right? And like, listen, I'll get you into an ETF product cheaper than anybody else, but I'm not going to make decisions on where the market's going. I'm not going to be a discretionary manager. So I, I do believe in a vibrant discretionary buy side, Mark. And I'm, I'm hoping that, uh, you know, that the, the, we'll find the way, ways to, to support the long only uh, mentality as you just described. The active empire will strike back. <laughs> Let's hope so. It seems to be a business about performance, right? I, I invested for returns. Yeah, completely. Completely makes sense. I think, Tim, that we've just done. Uh, I think we've just done the past, present, and future. I think. Uh, <laughs> I think. I think. Uh, hidden amongst that conversation, we. I think we've covered it all. Is there anything? Is there anything we haven't covered that we should have? 
Well, I think there's, you know, some of the some of the market dynamics that we're seeing besides the ones we just talked about. And uh, I have a friend who describes this really well as the the uh, uh, we're somewhat seeing the fourth generation of uh, of technology uh, in in this quantitative revolution and using data um, for for investment decision support and trading. And, you know, the, the first we had market data. That was the first generation. The second electronic you know trading through exchange models. The third, you mentioned earlier, um, high-frequency traded trading and, and smart order routing, and the fourth is really the entrance of um, things like uh, uh, frictionless trading by retail um, players and and the frictionless, commissionless, gamified participation, in, especially in the equity markets. So, you know, I think we're seeing a lot of uh, dynamics that are going to change. Uh, our clients' perspective on how markets work. You know, we, we could trace the history of equity markets back 80, 90 years uh, at least. But I, I would argue over the COVID period, we saw more dynamics in the most mature market, equity markets, that we've seen in any two-year period in, a, in our history. And a lot of these, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the Robin Hood and, and retail uh, uh, applications are changing everything. So now, we have to understand how that how retail is changing these these market dynamics. I'm with you on the first and second. Um, so your first one was was um, just uh, trading essentially. The second one was electronic. The third one was high frequency. High frequency um, you don't hear so much about these days, and potentially it's because the market has just consumed it and moved on, and now it's just taken for granted type thing. So it it becomes part of. Um, the fourth one being retail, um, there is a possibility, is there not, that it was a 2021 um, uh, phenomenon as yeah. a result of stimulus checks and yeah. and, and and whatever, um, and a kind of a, a coming together of Reddit notice boards <clears throat> and, and Robin Hood kind of, but, but also it was perhaps of its moment. And there is a possibility that we're you know, potentially geopolitical movements in the market might blow up investors like that who suddenly yes. find that actually things can go down as well as up. So, I I mean, as always, it's very hard to call a wave when you're in it. But there is a risk that it's it wasn't a wave. It was a ripple. The fourth one. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's a, it, you, I think you pose a pretty, uh, pretty strong argument there. Um, and, you know, but we, we are seeing other, you know, changes and it, it, certainly a challenge for regulators to get their hands on whether, you know, pay for order flow is a, a positive or negative effect uh, in our in our markets. Certainly, it's given access to capital markets to communities that never had it, access to that. And I think you'll see things like fractional uh, purchase of fractional shares. Listen, I, I have twenty dollars to invest. Give me a fraction of that company. Um, and, you know, we'll need the systems to account for that kind of fractional ownership. So we do see continued uh, um, uh, events that would lead us to believe that the retail, uh, uh, that retail genie is not going to be put back in the bottle anytime soon. Um, the other piece of evidence I'd argue is, you know, I, I look at my, my children and my sons particularly have a, a risk appetite that we didn't have at, at their age and certainly an awareness of equity markets that we didn't have, um, they they tend to gamble more. Um, you know, they 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 sports betting, for example. I know it's been long popular in Europe and other markets, but it's really come to the U.S. So I, I think we're seeing a fundamental demographic change of our you know Gen Y Gen Z people that have a risk appetite uh, that 
never went through, maybe perhaps until this year, went through, you know, they ne never lived through a crisis. They don't remember 08. Um, so, you know, the markets are just something you put money in and it grows, be it crypto, be it, you know, regular assets. So, um, you know, I think the, the, the retail, the force of retail investors can be a good thing in that it unlocks capital. You know, people that were putting money into, you know, a money market account or a savings account and earning nothing are now, you know, their capital is flowing into the marketplace as well. I think that's a good thing. But, you know, how we uh, protect them um, from themselves and this 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 risk appetite is going to be an interesting, uh, we're going to, it'd be interesting to see how it evolves. So there's a lot more money waiting on the sidelines w w ready to pile in. So I've I've had um, I've had Quiver Quantitative on this podcast before, and their their vision, their dream, which they're already uh, uh, um, on the way to achieving, is um, making alternative data available to the retail investor. Um, so it sounds like you've got a you've got a similar vision. So is DTCC building its retail offering for its, for its data <laughs> services? Well, I, I would describe it as we want to understand the dynamics of retail participation on the equity markets and where you know, because they don't necessarily behave like regular institutional players. You mentioned it, um, uh, social media fueled Reddit um, uh, chat rooms and, you know, pursuing other than, you know, uh, investment uh, strategies not driven towards future expected cash flow, but driven towards either social outcomes or, you know, whatever uh, cause they're trying to champion. So they, it's hard to understand how they will drive markets, but they are driving them. That used to be less than 10%. Of volume now, some estimates are greater than twenty-five percent. So we're looking at try to separate the retail component of activity from the institutional component, and we're not necessarily looking to serve retail investors, but we're looking to serve our institutional clients and let them know when retail participation is growing uh, in a particular issue and how that may affect uh, affect valuation risk and outlook. So. You know, we're, we're still we, we didn't have to track retail was was irrelevant before, you know, three years ago. So and COVID unleashed them. You're right. COVID unleashed these this. And we'll see if the, you can put that, you know, put it back in the bottle. It's uh, we'll see. Also, well, I don't know. I, I don't think we'll agree on this necessarily. I, 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 I personally feel that it, it's also got a feeling of a late cycle. Um, a late cycle phenomenon, you know, and similar. Everyone was piling in in 2000, 2000 2001, weren't they? With uh, with the with the with the stocks. But the other question is, where are we in the cycle now? So you know, maybe there's a, a many more legs to go with it too. So anyway, a very uh, befuddled note to end <laughs> the conversation. I like it. I like it. <laughs> but that's fine. We'll, we'll um, catch up in two years and we'll see where the retail tape is and absolutely. Uh, and, and absolutely. they've gone down. <laughs> Perfect. Um, Tim, uh, absolute pleasure speaking to you. Thank you so much for for um, enlightening me on on DTCC's role in the market and what, what you guys are, are offering. And um, yeah, I look forward to that chat um, further down the line. Yeah, appreciate it, your time, Mark, and uh, I, I'm congratulating your knowledge of DTCC already. So, <laughs> very, very useful. Fantastic. Thanks so much. All right. Thank